What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, we are in the realm of, of OTAs, finally some rumblings out of one Arrowhead Drive. How are you feeling? Uh, pretty good. It's nice to have uh, something going on out of the stadium that we can talk about instead of just speculate about things <laughs> <laughs> what's going to happen you know three months from now or whatever so it's it, nice if you looked at the pre-ota discourse of what they call chief twitter you'd be stunned that this is the team that won the super bowl a lot of arguments <laughs> back and forth about contracts and whatnot that's one of the things we'll talk about on the show today but i think that this is a nice time to remind everybody this is a happy time you know you don't have to be worried about the drought that you have, the drought that you have is like still four months since winning the the championship. It's all happy days. And now the chiefs are going to try to repeat again. They failed the last time, which maybe has some people on edge, but I think largely this is going to be once again, an exciting team to root for. And I had an opportunity to go out to OTAs yesterday for our first of three media looks during the voluntary portion. So we'll talk about that. Our first segment I'm calling, five and five, which means we're going to go five things we learned from the press conference and five things that I saw with my eyeballs. We'll take a quick break and then we'll go through the news. We have our flash poll to talk about as well. By the way, Steve Serta is out today. So Kramer Sansone has been nice enough to fill in for Steve as he's enjoying his Colorado adventure, which uh, John, I believe he's got zero bars on the cell. I don't know if, uh, if that was by, by design, but uh, no Steve for a little bit here, but Kramer wow. Kramer is stepping up and you excited to talk about some OTAs, JD? I am. I am. This is uh, this. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it since you're the one I actually got to put eyeballs on it yesterday. So uh, I'm interested to hear what, what you saw. All right. As we do every week, we, well, we would read a rating and a review, but we have no new ones. So this is a challenge from me to you. I'd like to see at least three next week for the editor's show. If you leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, we will read it on the show. Nothing to read this week. So let's get right into OTAs. Again, this segment is called Five and Five. So first, we're going to go through five things we learned from the press conference. Afterwards, five things with my eyeballs. But we'll start with Andy Reid. John, this was one of your questions heading into OTAs. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. what would the Chiefs do at the fullback position after Mike Burton was a Benedict Arnold and decided to go to the Denver Broncos? <laughs> Chiefs were without a fullback on their roster. Was it by design? Is this just something that's going to be the case for OTAs? No. Andy Reid has moved on from the fullback, and I, I think this will be a sign of the, the death of the position in the league just because there's only a handful of them 
and in other teams. And the fact that Andy Reid is moving on after 20 years, I think, speaks volumes. Here was the quote from Reid. The tight ends can work in that spot. We know Noah Gray can do all that. And that's kind of where we went with it. We got a number of tight ends that we feel comfortable with. So maybe you keep an extra tight end as opposed to that fullback. The big thing with Gray is let's assume that he can do all the things a fullback does. Pretty damn good receiver. You know, not for nothing. Gray is going to be a lot better than Anthony Sherman and Mike Burton were at, at catching the football. We've seen already him make some big catches here in his, his young career. So it's, it's a great shadow of Travis Kelsey, but I think this will add more to his tool back, toolbox, John. I, I'm not sure that I really buy into his logic here that you might maybe keep an extra tight end as opposed to that fullback. I mean, the Chiefs were already keeping four tight ends. They don't need to keep five tight ends. They might as well just label one of those guys the fullback and have a fullback as the a, as a roster spot. I think what we're really talking about here is having a roster spot that could be used for another position altogether, perhaps a wide receiver, uh, perhaps an offensive lineman, who knows, maybe even somebody on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, I, I don't think we're going to see the Chiefs keep an extra tight end. Uh, I think they're going to have the same number. It's just that they'll get to play a little bit more than they have in the past. Doing some quick math here. The Chiefs at the 53-man roster cut down last year, kept 26 offensive players. It was three quarterbacks, four running backs, one fullback. Uh, which they won't have, one, uh, five wide receivers, four tight ends, and nine offensive linemen. I think if you're doing some quick math there with the way that the Chiefs wide receiver room is built, that's where the extra fullback is going to go because they were already keeping four tight ends. Where it might get interesting is if they add a sixth receiver and then maybe say goodbye to one of the tight ends, which I, I mean, I don't anticipate. I think that's unlikely. Um, because then you could work on maybe a seventh receiver. And I'm, I'm trying to remind people here because, and we'll get into some more conversation when we talk about the Rosses. The Chiefs have never kept seven receivers in Kansas City under Andy Reid since 2013. The most they have done is six. So that's usually the, the roster construction. And the offensive line room is deep as well. I mean, there's an outside chance that you could keep 10 offensive linemen if you start playing with the the roster there, maybe it's three running backs, four tight ends, and that's where you maybe get your seventh receiver. I, I think there's a lot of directions that the Chiefs can go in. Um, it should make for some interesting 53-man projections now that uh, everyone that that does this around Arrowhead Pride and and really all the competing Chiefs sites will now have a, a wild card <laughs> roster spot to play with. So it's... <laughs> It's going to be interesting to tackle what uh, Andy Reid does with that. And I, I talked about the receivers, John. Uh, we got some commentary on the Rosses. Uh, I went to practice uh, yesterday, as you guys know, and I thought John Ross looked pretty good. I, I, I thought that he might have been the speediest player in camp. And so this was a question I asked Andy Reid, just what he thought about John Ross to, to get him back into the NFL after a year off from football to injuries and, and whatnot. And he said, I like both of the Rosses. And if there was a, a crowd there, they would have stood up on their feet and clapped. Uh, and Andy Reid said, <laughs> big and little. So the big one, he's talking about Justin Ross now, is coming along. He feels good. His foot feels good. And the surgery that he had worked out well up to this point. He's made some nice plays for us here. I know Pat's got trust in him, so that's good to see. And then he said, and then the smaller Ross is extremely fast and quick. Before he got hurt, he was on to a pretty good season. I like what I see there, too. So... I think uh, John Ross announced himself to an extent at, at OTAs yesterday. We we know the 
following that Justin Ross has too. Uh, it's it's going to be these guys, and there's a significant challenge here for both Rosses and any other wide receiver that wants to make the team. You want to talk about Ty Frogel, we can. Um, but you're going to have to really show out, as we've talked about in previous episodes, just because of what Richie James can do on special teams, uh, the money guaranteed to both Watson and James, and maybe it is convincing Andy Reid to use that wild card spot on a bonus receiver. Yeah, uh, this is, in a lot of ways, a very an even more interesting wide receiver conversation than we had last year when the team was essentially rebuilding it from scratch. Um, uh, for, if for no other reason than Justin Ross has a chance to play this year. I think last year we knew that he wasn't going to be uh, someone who would, would actually have an opportunity to play in 2022. So he wasn't even part of the equation. And then having John Ross here, another former first round pick, typical Brett Veach move here. Um, and then to have him, you know, uh, get that kind of comment from Andy Reid during the first three days of OTAs. I think uh, I think that there might be a lot more uh, interesting conversation to be had about this position this year than there was last year, and there was a lot last year. Yeah. So uh, this is going to be very fun. This is going to be fun to watch. I was talking to somebody at practice yesterday, one of the other media members, and you know, just spitting out loud as as we're watching. And what I, I find interesting about this wide receiver room is it's not like you're debating between elite players there's a lot of like average to slightly above average guys and if someone can get into the realm of clearly above average and i think that's where you're going to see one of these players deep in the wide receiver room win a spot like you got to prove that that you are such a valuable part of what could be the offense maybe you have some special teams upside and that's i think where you're going to solidify your position but i i think you're you're dealing with a lot of average depth I I like the the first couple of receivers and then everyone else kind of just it's very you know it's good not great it's a lot of good not a lot of great so it's can somebody prove okay I'm I'm the great one and I think that's how they're going to break through maybe in the wide receiver room well and uh, of course you have to remember that all of them will be catching passes from Patrick Mahomes which mm-hmm. increases their odds of becoming great right in the eyes of of most people so uh, again, this is going to be a very, very interesting thing to watch. I noticed not too many people across the country are now saying the Chiefs are going to be bad mm-hmm. because they don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. Apparently, they've, they've <laughs> the, the few of them have moved on to say that uh, it's Juju Smith-Schuster's loss that will be felt. But really, not that many uh, analysts are saying that even. I think they recognize that as long as Mahomes is here, the wide receivers in Kansas City will be dangerous no matter who they are. Yeah, I think it's become an acceptance that Patrick Mahomes is going to make players better. The, mm-hmm. the national analysts had to see that over the course of a year when you say goodbye to the best wide receiver in franchise history and you're still able to win the Super Bowl as he thrives in, in Miami. And so it's the next chapter of Patrick Mahomes and we'll we'll keep it with Mahomes. And this made... I think national headlines yesterday with just some of the contract stuff. We know that pro football talk talks. Uh, Mike Florio has been on top of this and saying Mahomes is underpaid and he's doing the, what the, the gravel that you would do as, as like a judge, a judge, jury executioner. He needs to bang the table for more money. And I thought Mahomes's quote was interesting. It, it's lengthy. So I'll just read a, a portion of it here. 
uh, he and the agent and the team always keep open communication, try to do whatever's best for the team does want to do uh, best for himself as well. And then he said, but at the same time, I've always said, I worry about legacy and winning rings more than making money at the moment. But I know we keep communication. We see what's going around the league at the same time. I'll never do anything that's going to hurt the team from keeping great players uh, around me. I, I did think it was interesting because that would tell you, well, he's fine with his current contract, but he did make a further point, which continues the argument in the sense of, he wants to continue moving the ball down the line when it comes to the the quarterbacks. He wants to take care of other quarterbacks. And so when their contracts come up, if his contract is X, then next quarterback that is due to get paid, that is in the realm of Mahomes, because we consider him quarterback number one, are going to be now playing in a new playground when it comes to money. And so it's not about being the highest paid guy. It's not about making a ton of money. He said, I've made enough money where I'll be set for the rest of my life. At the same time, you've got to find that line where you're making a good amount of money, but you're still keeping a lot of great players around you so you can win these Super Bowls and you're able to compete in these games. I still think, again, and I'll reiterate, very quietly, very (laughs) friendly, very amicably, he will have a new deal where he is making the highest average. Now, you're going to still have the team-friendly deal. I, you know, I contend that you'll still have the guarantee mechanisms if he needs more room to get another weapon down the line and the Chiefs identify a player that could help them. That'll be available. Uh, but I, I still am going to hold on to this, John. I know we disagree here, but I'm still holding on to it. I think maybe he has a new deal before week one. Yeah, well, we're just going to disagree about that again. Uh, and I agree that he didn't really slam the door on it. He didn't say, no, no way, I'm going to not have a new contract before week one. He did, he didn't slam the door. I think but where it will become interesting is when Chris Jones's deal presumably yeah. is done. Yeah. Will that start to open the door for a deeper conversation there? I don't know. Yeah, it, it might. That's a possibility. We always have to. And, and Mahomes can always change his mind. You know, let's be clear about right. this. What he says today uh, might not be what he says tomorrow. Everybody's entitled to change their mind. That's the the way the world works. So, you know, you can't really say he's not going to have, there's no way he'll have a contract renegotiation before the season begins. But he moved the bar closer to uh, he won't have a new deal by his statements on Wednesday. I, I think it's fair to say it's still possible. And I think it's fair for you to continue to have your opinion wrong as it is. Mm. Uh, but I, I think that what he said yesterday made it more clear that it's not something that he's focused on right now. Uh, and, and you make a good point that he understands that he's got to keep the bar moving forward, push. He's got to keep pushing the bar the way he put it. Um, he recognizes that when his contract comes up, uh, he's got to uh, make it possible for other quarterbacks to be paid well, too. Yeah. He can't just go in there and say, oh, I'm willing to do this for $10 million a year. He understands he can't do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's got to tear up a contract that still has nine years to run. That's the counter argument I would make to that. The problem is really the cap. I I, I do believe that in a cap, I do believe that sports are better for the cap i don't like the way that major league baseball does it where just because the Mm -hmm. yankees and dodgers and red Sox and cubs or mets whoever you want to mention has more money they were able to get more uh players that are of elite caliber not that it always leads to a world series we saw in kansas city small town markets can win sometimes but you're just in a lot better position 
I I think that just in general, and I've heard I've heard this before from NFL.com's Greg Rosenthal, and I agree with it completely. It, quarterbacks with the cap will never make the money they should be getting. And we're not just talking about Patrick Mahomes, like just across the board, the value that a Jalen Hurts, a Joe Burrow, a Justin Herbert bring to the table will never be properly compensated for. It's always, well, how much of the percentage of cap are you going to take? And the quarterbacks, because there is a, is a cap, are forced to take these deals. Like, I know Mahomes is getting a half a billion dollars. He's still underpaid, right? When in terms of the cap, of course, like, okay, he's making enough money, but in the value of an organization that he's bringing, he's put the Chiefs on a map. The Chiefs are now in four different countries marketing where they're drawing excitement in Austria and Germany and Mexico City. Why is that? It's all wouldn't be happening without Patrick Mahomes. So if the NFL were like Major League Baseball, who who the hell knows how much Patrick Mahomes could command? And he could command it because they would have unlimited money to spend. So the NFL owners are shrewd with this little cap thing they well, have going. I don't know if it's unlimited, but it wouldn't be artificially limited like the salary cap is. But I also right. think I also think that the salary cap is one of the reasons the NFL has been so successful. Yes. There's plenty of people who've who've made that point uh, in the media. And I agree with that, that um, I think that when every team in the league uh, can reasonably say they have a chance to go and win the Super Bowl every season, that's good for the league as a whole. And the salary the salary cap is a big part of that. So. You know, it's I, I I can't get too worried about a guy making half a billion dollars and being underpaid. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, yes. it's hard to make that argument and, and make it stick. But Mahomes certainly uh, talks like somebody that fans want to get behind because he isn't he doesn't come off as a guy who wants every cent he can get his hands on. And I think fans love that. And I think it helps the team, um, you know, for all the reasons that he said. He doesn't, he doesn't ever want to make a move that will make it harder for the team to, to be successful. And, and I think fans love that. If you want to hear the full discourse between Mahomes and the media on this, it's available for you right now at from the podium. So are all these quotes that we're talking about. And the next one is from Donovan Smith, who spoke about his injuries of, of 2022. We know that leading into 2022, I believe he was drafted in 2015, he just played all the games. He was pulling a Mitch Schwartz and then finally got injured in 2022 when he said that he played with a lot more injuries than he should have. He continued. It's just something that we do. We go out there. We sacrifice our bodies. We go out there for greater good of the team. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't finish the way that we wanted, but it is what it is. New beginning, new journey. I'm healthy. I'm fresh, and I'm feeling real good. I actually followed up my question about his health just to confirm uh, that he was 100%, and he did so. So, Donovan Smith uh, confirms that he's 100% going into the season, which I, I think is big because I think that, of course, anyone is going to say that, but he seemed like a straightforward guy. <laughs> and him confirming that means maybe you do jump back to 2021 and say, well, how was he doing when he was fully healthy? And this is a contract year for him. I feel better about him at left tackle maybe than I did yesterday. And I, I wonder if a lot of the fans listening to us now feel that way, just hearing, okay, Man, he was playing through a lot of injuries, and he feels yeah. really good right now. And and he was very convincing too. Um, yeah. When he, he, you know, sometimes uh, guys say that, and you go, "Well, okay, maybe they mean that, maybe they don't." But I didn't feel uh, that way about anything that he said yesterday. He seemed very genuine. 
um, very, uh, very believable in every statement that he made. Uh, and he sounded like he's a lot of fun to be around, too. So uh, that's an interesting thing to, to learn about this particular player. Yeah, I said to him, were you nervous joining <laughs> yeah, the Chiefs? That was, after it was funny. Eight yeah. years in Tampa, and he told me he doesn't get nervous. So I guess that's exactly <laughs> what you want, especially when you're going from the greatest quarterback of all time to the reigning double MVP. I, I think that's the mentality that you have to have. All right, last quote, Nick Bolton. I thought this was really funny because Brian Cook would not shut up in, in lack, for lack of better terms at practice. I mean, he was chirpy the entire time, and it, it was noticeable. And he's going to be getting a lot more burn next to Justin Reed now that, that Juan Thornhill is a Cleveland Brown. But here was Nick Bolton talking about Cook. If he's 100% wrong, he makes you believe he's 100% right. <laughs> That's the confidence you need to have in the back end, and we're loving that. So he's growing. You can tell Cook's put a lot of work in the offseason, phase one, phase two, and in phase three, being able to echo calls, get guys lined up. And even if we're trying to show something we're doing wrong, he'll make sure we know about it. So we love that. Uh, Willie Gay is liking that too. We love the competition that Cook brings. Exactly what you want. I know it it, it doesn't matter in, in the grand scheme of things when it comes to production, but you'd rather guys be more like Donovan Smith and Brian Cook coming in that are stepping into big roles than being quieter. And I think the Chiefs need some of that that leadership in, in the back end now that it, we're a couple of years removed from a, a Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill, I think, grew in. To, to being a, a vocal leader he's bringing that to cleveland but brian cook is going to have to have that confidence because he's going to have to eat up some of those those thornhill snaps john yeah and i i think that when we hear about uh defensive players uh, particular players in the secondary being chirpy at practice and then we hear that um, mahomes will be chirpy in response uh, we tend yeah. to get a little worried about it but that's really what you want your players, especially a second-year player like Brian Cook, to to do is to be standing up for their teammates and and pushing hard uh, so that the the refs don't get complacent about uh, the Chiefs. You know, they know that if they make a call that doesn't seem quite right, the chief the players are going to be in their faces. I mean, you never see a player go to a ref and say that was wrong and see the ref change their minds. That never happens. No. But when players make it clear that they're going to be in the ref's face, if they don't make a good call, uh, I think there are some calls that aren't made. I think there's a, a factor there that we don't ever really get to observe. So I like to see that uh, in the players in the, on the defense, even if they sometimes get into arguments with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a, a good thing. I'm excited for, for Brian Cook this year. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how he's able to perform when he has more repetitions. And I know that guys mm -hmm. tend to get in a groove a little bit better once they are able to play a little bit more. And we will certainly see the Chiefs go in that direction when it comes to Cook. So, again, we're going through five and five of OTAs. Those are five things we learned from the press conference. I'll now go to, into some observations. I tweeted out a whole list like I do sometimes. Uh, this first one, I thought Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and John Ross looked fresh and speedy. Not a cool thing to say online, <laughs> I'm finding out. Really not a cool thing to say. I I think that people are are done with Clyde. I, I think people really leaning into Justin Ross. But of those at, at practice, and I've said this before, even last year, still waiting for Justin Ross to have one of those moments on one of these media days. I have not seen it yet. Uh, I, I think it's possible, right? Um, but John Ross caught my eye. Clyde edwards lair caught my eye. I think you have to note here that it's a, a padless practice, but Clyde looked in great shape. He's stepping up now with Isaiah Pacheco 
not in the mix. We didn't see him at, at practice yesterday. And, and so I think it, it's a it's a good thing. We've talked about Clyde a lot on this show before, John, and it seems like Clyde is really putting his head down and just going to take what comes, which is, you know, at this stage of the game, what else can you do? You know, uh, last year when I was working on my uh, analysis to create a new uh, draft pick value system using um, pro football references, average value, approximate value uh, metric to determine how much players contributed once they were drafted. I decided that a player who had an average value of at least 12 during their rookie contract uh, was not a bust. That's the dividing line. You know, mm-hmm. any anything below 12, that's a bust, no matter what round they're taken in. Clyde Edwards-Alaire has 15 yeah. in three seasons. And I think that's a, a, a point that is lost on people. Just because he hasn't performed at a, a, a top level doesn't mean that he hasn't been valuable to the Chiefs. And he did that uh, while appearing in, in just 33 games uh, during those three seasons. And among all the players in the first round, the average AV is 16. So he's just a little below average, but there were a dozen players who had worse approximate value scores than Edwards Allaire did. I think it's a mistake to, uh, to bury him at this point. I think he can still be a valuable player, perhaps not what we'd hoped when he was taken in the first round, but players are taken when they're taken. And all that matters is what they do uh, once they get on the team. And he hasn't been fantastic, but he's not been bad. And we need to get over feeling that way about it. Yeah, a couple people from the fantasy football community retweeted that tweet. I've noticed some commentary regarding <clears throat> not falling for Clyde again when it, when it comes to production <laughs> in Kansas City. <clears throat> I've always maintained with, with Clyde that I think part of the problem was the, the hype train that happened when he was a rookie and just never living mm-hmm. up to what was that Christian McCaffrey sure. level that was, was sure. built out on and, and put out by the team. And now is the perfect time for our flash poll this morning, John. I'll, I'll do it here rather than at the end of the show. I asked fans, how many yards from scrimmage will Clyde Edwards-Alaire have in 2023? Two choices, 500 or more or, more, or 499 or less. Where did fan base go with this one? I would say on the low side, the 499 and less. That's right. 64.7% of fans believe that he will be 499 or less. 35% said 500 or more, which is to me, John, actually a, a little bit surprising. I, I think I, I, I think that number is a little bit higher than I thought it would be. I, I would have thought it would be maybe closer to one in four fans believing that Clyde could get over 500 mm-hmm. yards, but one in three is is more quiet optimism, I I think for Clyde. Well, I think that I think that McKinnon is going to be the main running back uh, behind Isaiah Pacheco. The question is, what happens if Pacheco is injured? What happens yeah. if he isn't fully recovered by week one, and we start the season with Edwards Alaire as the starter? Because McKinnon is not going to be the starter. McKinnon is going to be the third down guy, the the guy who comes in. Uh, for pass blocking and to come in and catch passes, that kind of thing. McKinnon is not going to be the starter unless there's a complete disaster. So um, in order, if if Pacheco is healthy all season, I think it's entirely possible that we will see Edwards Allaire have an accumulated figure under 500 500 yards. Um, But if he 
if Pacheco is injured at all, over 500 is a distinct possibility. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I was sure that they were going to move him at the end of training camp for a change of scenery type of thing, but I, I'm starting to hesitate with that, with Pacheco just not being on the field. I, not in a, you know, it's, it's listed as an injured hand, and a, a torn labrum is a legitimate injury. So uh, when we asked Andy Reid about Pacheco at the end of rookie camp, he said there's no timeline at all. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that's, yeah. that's not a good sign. So, yeah, I wonder if if the Chiefs, like they did with Ronald Jones, they end up keeping Clyde around simply because you, you need the numbers of that position. I know that LaMichael P. Ryan's in the mix and that you have Daneric Prince, but man, the Chiefs are not going to move around, on from Clyde if there's any question about Isaiah Pacheco. So I think this is a, a player Chiefs fans should get used to again. I, I think he's going to be in the mix here and certainly going to be a position to watch when it comes time for training camp. I, I observe this too. I love the O-line depth that the Chiefs have right now. I, I think some players that are, are behind even the current line. So the current line is Donovan Smith, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey. You have Trey Smith and then Jawan Taylor. But you think about the depth behind that line at right tackle, Lucas Niang. You know, you, at the guard position, you have Allegretti and, and you, are, you have Darian Kennard who's making a position switch where he's working in both areas john your guy prince tago and is also in that mix you have some <laughs> some veteran experience and and austin Ryder that are uh, that is behind um i know i'm forgetting somebody here uh wanya morris uh wanya morris is also mixing in um at the the tackle positions uh and mike caliendo who was a stay from last year i I just think, and I'm not going to sit here and say that the the backup offensive line is is good, uh, but I think it's exactly what you want. Like let let's say in a, a 2020 worst case scenario where you're looking at five new offensive linemen, I think you'd be in all right shape with the five guys behind him, with, which to me is exactly what you want for spot starts. And if someone were to get injured, we've seen offensive line injuries um, through the years in in Kansas City. So I just I think. Uh, I think this is the best starting offensive line Patrick Mahomes is ever going to have, but I, I'm more so in this point here, John, bringing attention from six or 10. I think the Chiefs are pretty good shape. I think one of the more interesting battles to watch uh, on the offensive line in training camp is going to be Kennard and um, and the tennis, the Tennessee fellow that we just did. <laughs> all of a sudden, I can't think of his name. Um, the the new guard that we got from Tennessee. No, no, no. Uh, the undrafted free agent. We just published a, a review on him, and all of a sudden Carvin. I can't think of his name. Jerome Carvin. 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 Yes. Yes. Sorry. No, Old okay. man's working there. Sometimes I can't remember <laughs> stuff that I that I just looked at an hour ago. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that'll be an interesting battle uh, because they're talking about Kennard as a guard and instead of a tackle, which is what he primarily played at Kentucky. But Carvin looks like he'd be quite a player on the interior and has the ability to play at center too, like Allegretti does. So uh, uh, in order for Kennard to hang around, he's going to have to show that he's got the ability to play both guard and tackle. And we don't really know much about what he's capable of doing at this point. They basically stashed him on the roster last year. I think he had, you know, just a handful of snaps uh, in any of last year's games. Uh, He was inactive for most of them. And so we really don't know too much about him. And I think it'll be interesting to see which of those guys manages to uh, grab a roster spot as a reserve this year. 
I think Kennard would have to be completely horrible, and this is bad practice, but I think the Chiefs are a little bit pot committed on Kennard in the sense if you if you're a poker fan where and you put so much <laughs> money and time and value into him that you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now that only lasts for about two seasons. We saw that with Breland Speaks, where they were pot committed for a while, and they eventually said, and I, I believe it was that third year. Well, we got to cut our losses. So I, I think Kennard gets a, a shot this year. I think he's going to have to be this good interior swing interior guy for the Chiefs to to stick. But I, I tend to think he's here. But Carvin will make things interesting. And I talked about six through ten with the new practice squad rules. You can make sure that that offensive line is good from eleven to thirteen. You know, if you want, and the right. Chiefs tend mm-hmm. to tend to do that. All right, next observation. I think the Chiefs are going to move on returner-wise, I think, at both positions in 2023 when it comes to punt returner, which was Kadarius Toney, and then the kick returner, which was Isaiah Pacheco. You mentioned Pacheco's injured right now, so it's hard to tell if he's going to still be that that top returner. But I'm looking in the directions of Richie James. Um, bear with me here. Sky Moore. And then if you really <laughs> want to dig into this and, and make things interesting, I'm, I'm not saying I understand how the Chiefs would fit them on the roster, but Daneric Prince, the undrafted guy, I would see him more as a kick returner and then maybe Amir Smith-Marset as uh, a punt returner. You know, they, and we'll talk about it late in the show, they've made some changes to the rosters. If they were able to add a, a special punt returner position, I think Amir Smith-Marset would have a roster spot every year where you could just have him be the, the guy, but it, it's just hard to find a way to get him on the roster with that wide receiver talent. But I, I still think that, the Chiefs are probably going to move away from Tony and Pacheco a la what they did with Tyreek Hill eventually, even though he was the best home run hitter in the NFL. I, I actually agree with that. And, and I based that on uh, reading a review where they're talking about uh, a Prince. I th- No, it was another undrafted player. Was it Prince? I think it was Prince where Ron was talking about his ability to, um, to uh, function as a return player, even though he's kind of a smaller running back. Um, and I, I, I agree that I think that they want to get, uh, get, get Tony and Pacheco off the field for special teams so they can concentrate more on the offensive roles where they want them to be earning their living. And, um, and I, I think it's going to be an interesting battle to watch this year. I noticed yesterday after there were, was a tweet of Justin Ross taking, uh, taking uh kick return snaps um people were going oh well he's going to be you know working for a roster spot on special teams well yeah maybe i think that's more about the chiefs figuring out what he can and can't do uh which they haven't really had the opportunity to do before this offseason yeah. just so. to just to fill everyone in and i hate to be like the king of the justin ross hater i'm not i hope he makes a team i think it would be a great story <laughs> i think it would be the best story ever yeah, but uh, every time it. he shows up in the video like that, people go crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, they at before practice, they have fifteen guys doing punt returns sure. off the machine, yeah. right? Like they're they're simply seeing who can do it and and who can. So, yeah, I mean, is it a, a good sign for him that he's in that mix? Heck yeah, right. If mm-hmm. he's pushing for the Chiefs to keep yeah. a seventh receiver, he's going to have to do some of that stuff, but. Still think it's an uphill battle. We'll see if he can overcome. Uh, speaking of wide receivers, my fourth observation, Justin Watson. He did have some of those drops we've seen from him, but then he had probably the catch over the day over Brian Cook. And as I was kind of describing, Brian Cook was not too happy on the play. He thought he might have had some offensive pass interference. But the way it was thrown, Watson caught a ball 
around Cook's body and still somehow came down with it. Watson is quietly, John, one of those players that sometimes, you know, right up here in, in the teeth, that, that ball goes to the ground and then he makes this impossible catch uh, in the end zone. So I, I thought that was interesting. I think Watson's here. I mean, I, I know that some Chiefs fans would disagree with it, but I, I think Watson is actually a name you could put in, in pen. I know that we can slam the door shut on the top four wide receivers. We know who those are going to be. But me personally, for me, it's five. And you're either going to get a sixth, um, which which I tend to anticipate. Big question to me is the, the seventh, um, if you if you go in that direction. But I and I think Justin Watson's here to stay. And and I know it's a small OTA padless practice moment, but I, I just think that he continues to do things to solidify his spot. Well, I think the, the Chiefs made that pretty clear when they gave him a two-year deal with $1.4 million guaranteed for this season. That's not a contract you give to somebody that you think there's any chance you're going to let go of. Right. I mean, yes, they might. You know, if if Justin Ross uh, comes in and and plays in an amazing way, if John Ross is amazing, uh, yeah, there's always a possibility you could move Watson off the roster and eat that money. But that's not a decision that you're making. When you make a, a contract like that, you're saying, yeah, we expect this guy to be on the roster uh, when week one gets here. And and so I agree with you. I think uh, Watson is here to stay. So many rosters. And all, to talk while about. we're on it, I, I should apologize. The review I was talking about wasn't about uh, Prince. It was about uh, Remigio. Uh, oh, the, Nico Remigio. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. What I'm, a name. Again, getting confused about names I'm just getting used to. So we are we are in the window, John. Or we have 90 players to remember here. Yeah. So I, I think <laughs> we're okay with, with making a mistake here and there. Eventually it'll it'll be down to 53 and that 16 man practice squad, the the old 69 man roster. All right, let's get into my final observation, and that uh comes with cornerback Nick Jones. And I I was impressed yesterday, uh, and I, I keep saying the, the same thing and, and emphasizing it's a passing camp. It's tough on defensive backs. Uh, it's tough on linebackers when they're in safeties, when they're trying to guard tight ends. Uh, and I thought Nick Jones was was pretty impressive. I heard a verbal compliment come in his direction for Steve Spagnolo. This is a seventh rounder for the Chiefs. Once again, Brett Veach on draft weekend getting out the Brett Veach dartboard and saying I, I like this part like this one let's see if I can hit a bullseye so far so good when it comes to Nick Jones I think he's really going to press the the back of that room and make the conversation hard for the the Chiefs you know you would think that it would be a scenario where maybe he would land on the practice squad and then we'd see in 2024 but if uh, you're a diehard Chiefs fan and if you're listening to the podcast you probably are that cornerback six spot for me <laughs> it's interesting uh, i think nick jones is really going to be someone that that pushes the envelope uh in that room and i just got that first inclination of that watching them yesterday yeah i i think that will be very interesting to watch uh i think the chiefs really want to keep johnson too uh yeah. the the marshall uh defensive back they got last year i think they see a lot of upside in him but he's not quite there yet so what happens if Nick Jones comes in and makes uh, a lot of plays that uh, impress the coaches, then they have a hard decision to make. And one of those guys uh, could end up on the practice squad. The question is, uh, can they survive waivers? That's always the, the problem that the coaches have to, to worry about when they're making those decisions. Can we get this guy through waivers to put him on the practice squad where we want to have him? That'll make, you know, but that's a good problem to have of all the problems to have. 
having uh, players that might be taken by other teams when they get waived is a pretty good one because that means you've got solid depth from top to bottom. Yeah, I, and during rookie camp, I also thought Anthony Witherstone, he stood out to me. The Chiefs, as we know, landed a guy who did like a, a minute with the Jets, didn't work out. Uh, Kalef Halasi is in the mix, uh, a familiar face in DiCaprio Boodle. Uh, you wonder if if the room gets especially crowded, could they flip a Joshua Williams? I I don't I think these guys are too valuable to just say goodbye to, and I I don't know. I it's gonna be interesting at the back end. It cornerback is not as sexy as a a position as a wide receiver, but you can make a case that the cornerback room is just as muddy in the back end of it mm, yeah. as wide receiver, and I think that's a quiet thing to watch as we. Head through you, the you're bringing up something interesting there. I, I I thought yesterday about writing an article about uh, trade candidates for the Chiefs. Usually in the offseason, such an article is about uh, players the Chiefs should trade for. Right. But I was wondering what players the Chiefs might be willing to deal uh, because they have so much depth at some of these positions. For example, one that I thought of was worth considering anyway was willie gay yeah um you know now that drew tranquil is on the team maybe willie gay is expendable uh you make the point about um about williams joshua williams i think that's another guy that the chiefs might be able to uh do without going into this season if they could get another player they needed more you know that's always the thing you you worry about you have to figure out whether you're getting more coming in than you've got going out but I wonder if there aren't four or five players on the Chiefs roster that they might end up trading away to get another player they need worse. Yeah, and like uh, going through this list really quickly, like Niang, you know, yeah, there's a another interesting one. Yeah. player. Um, I don't think they're trading any for the tight ends. Uh, Bouchelle, who has drawn interest, is mm-hmm. another player. Yeah, uh, Clyde, obviously. Um, I know that. Uh, it it would probably be un unpopular just because of but Derek Noddy, you know, if you say mm-hmm. see that Coburn is a little bit more like Colin Saunders. Mm-hmm. Uh Willie Gay, you mentioned I, I think that's fair. Uh, I mentioned Joshua Williams popping up there. I, I think in even in that that safety room, if Anthony Cook pushes, could you flip a Dion Bush, if if it came to it, I mean, I don't know if you're if anyone's paying anything for Dion Bush, but to me, like that, right. that is another one that that stands out. So yeah, I mean, I I think there are some trade candidates. We'd have to dig in a little bit more on the salary, what would cost teams, and and what. Sure, but yeah, we yeah, I hadn't I didn't do any research on it. It was just an idea that I had. Yeah, right, right. All right, so that's five and five. Five things we learned from press. Five things I, I viewed myself on on the field. I I put out some more notes if in detail at, at twitter.com slash pg we have all of the press conferences right now on from the podium right here on the airhead pride podcast network when we come back we will do, do a news roundup uh, you're listening to the airhead pride editor show what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape this is scott galloway host of the prop g podcast and an entrepreneur myself Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. 
You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Time for our news roundup. Not a ton of news, um, as, you know, as we're in the, the thick of the offseason, but we got a, a few things to talk about. Uh, I mentioned uh, that these OTAs, uh, John, are, are voluntary. And uh, that's important to remember as I go through what was happening uh, as far as the absentee list yesterday. Players we did not see were tight end Jody Fortson, defensive tackle Chris Jones, running back Jerick McKinnon, defensive tackle Derek Nadi, running back Isaiah Pacheco, and defensive tackle Turk Wharton. Quickly, we know that Pacheco and Wharton are rehabbing. So those were expected. Right. The ones we didn't expect were Fortson, who, by the way, was spotted in a Chiefs Twitter video the day before. So he's been around. He just wasn't around during the media look. Chris Jones, he's skipped voluntary workouts before. He's got that superstar, uh, he's got that superstar clause in his contract at this stage. Now he is probably looking for a new contract. So I think that's that one's more worth monitoring when we get to the mandatory portion, which is in a few weeks. Jarek McKinnon, Derek Nadi, I have no idea. You would think that those two players would be there um, for whatever reason they were not. Trent McDuffie and LeJerry Sneed were on the field, John, but they were without a helmet uh, with Andy Reid that it was simply precautionary. You know, maybe these guys have bumps and bruises. They're just not going to push it, which I I expected to hear. And so those were the, the players on the field. Anything jump out there for you when it comes to the absentee list? Well, no, uh, just a reminder that there's no injury report where a player is listed as personal, not injury related. And uh, the Chiefs don't want to talk about why players are or aren't there because it's not uh, mandatory. So you have to consider the possibility that any of the players who missed practice yesterday, like Fortson and Naughty and these guys, might have had personal reasons uh, not to be there. You note that that Fortson was there on on Tuesday, apparently, uh, thanks to the Twitter evidence, and he was not there on Wednesday. Maybe he had to go, you know, get his driver's license renewed or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's all possible. I, I had mentioned in, in previous episodes, I I think Patrick Mahomes has made a habit of skipping the second week. I'm, I'm, I haven't mm-hmm. checked his, when his golf tournament is, but it, it seems like the, the Chiefs are not overly concerned about them not being there for voluntary. will be interesting when it comes time for mandatory minicamp, I, I think especially in the Chris Jones category of if he ends up showing up because, uh, you know, the players are required to be there. All right. Uh, this week on NFL.com, Mark Sessler uh, of around the NFL, he mentioned that the Chiefs top priority was to trade for a big time wideout. Uh, he ended up mentioning Mike Evans or DeAndre Hopkins, which continue to be uh, too expensive at this uh, stage of the game, at least, at least in the form of a trade. I know that, uh, Rocky Magana, who, who we love, pointed out that if you wait post a June 5th, I believe it is, uh, that um, uh, Mike Evans' number would come down a little bit. I think it's around $13 million. Fortunately, that's too still ex- uh, expensive uh, for the Chiefs. And, and now, as we're tying it together with our, our conversations throughout the whole show, John, if they were able to get a new deal with Mahomes and Jones done, and suddenly you're open your eyes and you have $20 million worth of cap space. Mm -hmm. All right. Now then, now we can have that conversation, but I, I think we're, we're doing a little bit, uh, the chicken before we even see the egg at this point. I agree. Yeah. If, if, if you have restructures for both Jones and Mahomes, there will be a lot of cap space that comes free as a result of that. But 
uh, it would have to be both of them. I think if they get a restructure for Jones, uh, it's not going to be enough to land a player like Hopkins. It's going to be enough for them to go into the season with enough money to work with in case they have to sign somebody uh, due to an injury or something uh, and to just do the, the, the things that you have to do during the season. Uh, you you don't want to go into the season with $900,000 in cap space, which is what they're going to have here when all the rookies are signed. Yeah, my so, rebuttal, um, yeah, my rebuttal up to, to Sessler was veteran pass rusher. I know that these yeah. names mm-hmm. are not sexy, but I, like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I liked Juju Smith-Schuster, and I, I think the Chiefs would have been smart if they could retain him. He wanted the money, and Chiefs were only going to go so far to, to keep him. But I... Even though I I liked him, and even though he was so important in the Super Bowl and was a major reason, I just I think the Chiefs have enough right now to manage. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. do, when you win the Super Bowl, do you need to go get this big name receiver? And I I think that's where I disagree. And I I think the top priority is a veteran pass rusher, which tends to get, usually get done you know nowadays for the Chiefs in in August. I had mentioned that there were still some <laughs> available in in Gakwe and Clowney and Leonard Floyd, and also some popular fan favorites in a Frank Clark, a Dunlap, Justin Houston and Melvin Ingram. Could we have a reunion tour in, in, in that sense, you know, they're these veteran guys. Um, I just, I do think, I do think Chris Jones gets done. And so I think some, some room opens up. I just wonder uh, which veteran pass rusher will, I, I think one of those guys will be in St. Joe. I mean, I'm not going to guarantee that to you, but, of the names I just said, it it seems like the Chiefs like to address that um, later in the off season. And you know, for these guys, they don't want to go up to St. Joe early. You know, if they can show up on August tenth, that that's a little bit better, especially for guys that have proven themselves in the NFL already. Sure, yeah, sure. So, well, I agree. I, I think that makes more sense than getting DeAndre Hopkins. Certainly, I think he's just way too much money for what he would bring to the team. Uh, so, I I agree with you that that you had a better idea about a veteran pass rusher. And I think if they, I think you're right. If they get a deal done with Jones, they'll have enough money. They can sign a guy like that. And that would bring quite a bit to the team. I think even if it's, you know, even if it's Frank Clark. So for the second year in a row, the chiefs have only one player on the PFF 25 under 25 list. Um, few chiefs. I, I thought, you know, you can make a, a, case for them being snubbed i mentioned 23 year old linebacker nick bolton i mentioned 22 year old cornerback trent mcduffie 22 year old defensive end george Karloftis, 24 year old running back isaiah pacheco of the snubs john who is the snubbiest of the snubs that i just mentioned <laughs> i'd have to say bolton i think bolton. Uh, if i had to pick one of number those two guys. in the league in tackles yeah can't make the 25 under 25 list not everybody would uh, agree with you. Creed Humphrey came in at sixth on this list. Um, and so that's 10 spots higher than last year. So the Creed is good slash Creed is great. Campaign continues here. And uh, I think he's starting to get more league wide respect as one of the top centers. And uh, you, you start to wonder how expensive Mr. Humphrey is going to be, uh, especially with the team that has not shown a tendency of deciding to pay centers. So I, I think that That'll come up at some point here, and you know, that's a conversation for another day, but that's something to monitor, I think, over the long term uh, in, in that sense. All right, continuing with PFF, because we, we always care what PFF thinks. They noted that Kadarius Tony and Rasheed Rice are the Chiefs players to watch. Kadarius Tony as the X factor, and then 
for she rice as the rookie to watch uh, john when it comes to the x factor again that was tony and when it comes to the rookie to watch which was rice do you agree with both of those selections i think so yeah Interesting that they're both wide receivers, you know, which I think is why they're that we're not seeing a lot of guys uh, complaining about uh, Juju Smith-Schuster being gone is because the Chiefs have Tony and they have a guy yeah. like Rice, who was a highly rated player by PFF in college, but wasn't lighting up uh, people's interest as a possible Chiefs wideout. Uh, I've been pretty impressed with what we've heard about Rice as uh, since the draft and uh, and I've always thought that Tony had the potential to be a great player. The question mark, of course, is always his health. And we'll just have to see how that goes. The Chiefs certainly think he's capable of being their top receiver. I made fun of PFF because I know we all like to debate, but I actually think they got this one right. Yeah. I think a big part of the Chiefs' success this year is going to depend on whether Kadarius Tony can really take that next step, especially as mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey gets to 34. We talked about Juju Smith Schuster leaving. You can say healthy, he's going to have a thousand yards. I, I don't think you could just say that about anybody, but I feel strongly about that when it comes to Tony and what Andy Reid can do now that he's been here a year in a system. Some of the rumblings that you get from the Chiefs personnel staff about how high they are in Tony. There's a reason he was a first rounder. It'd be great to see him over, you know, that 15 to 17 games. And before they signed Donovan Smith, I would have told you that the rookie to watch was Wanye Morris because I thought he would have had a real shot to win what was the right tackle battle. Mm-hmm. The dominoes yeah. that have happened now. Jawan Taylor is back there, but before Smith, it was going to be Jawan Taylor at, at left tackle and Wanye Morris versus Lucas Niang at right. Now that they have a whole batch of new starters and Jawan Taylor solidifying the right side, it, it does feel like Rasheed Rice, uh, again, trying to step up and make sure that Mahomes has proper pass catchers uh, in that sense. All right. As we continue here, John, we have, and and you wrote this up for us, uh, Chiefs assistant coach Dave Merritt. He's been tapped for the NFL Coach Accelerator Program. Dave Merritt's awesome to talk to. They put him up to the podium probably every three or four weeks and really insightful, really fun guy. I think if he has any interest in Eventually becoming a defensive coordinator, to me, he is a perfect uh, person from a a temperament standpoint, from a makeup standpoint. I think he commands the respect of the defensive backs. And look at what he's done in Kansas City when it comes to this youth group. He coined the term we love at Arrowhead Pride, which is the Fab Five. Uh, So uh, John Merritt, he gets the, the nod for the Coach Accelerator program. I, I completely agree. He really looks like a guy that would be a great coordinator or head coach. But that's, you know, take it with the grain of salt that it needs to have because my evaluation uh, of a, a guy like that is largely based on how he presents himself in front of the media. Um, and he is terrific in front of the media. Now, I'll also say that that's a big part of being the head coach is that you're the face of the franchise and uh, one of the biggest faces on the franchise. Uh, If you have Patrick Mahomes, he's always going to be the biggest face. But the coach certainly uh, is a a person who represents uh, the franchise in the eyes of a lot of fans. And so you want him to be someone who can explain his vision, uh, who can be entertaining who can be clear about what his goals and his vision are. Um, So I think that Merritt is an excellent candidate on that basis. And as you point out, he's been very successful at the position. You know, the Chiefs didn't invest any assets 
uh, to speak of in the secondary for the <laughs> just up until last year right uh, during Andy Reid's entire tenure in Kansas City and they actually fielded a pretty good group in most of those seasons so I think that says a lot about the quality of the coaching of the secondary and that's Dave Merritt's responsibility yeah moving on here Drew Tranquil he appeared on the Ross Tucker football podcast Jared Sapp wrote it up for us at AP doing some of the dirty work as he's watching his Dallas Stars and Oh man, what a what a tough time for our guy Jared when it comes to the stars. Uh, but this was the key quote. He said that Brett Veach and Andy Reid said, "Drew, there's no promises here. We love you as a player. We love what you're able to do. You're super versatile. You're a total linebacker. You can do it all. We've got a lot of great players here, and you're going to have to come in here and, and earn your way." I love it. I think Darius Harris. I think he was a solid player who's never going to push Willie Gay. Push, push. Drew Drew Tranquil has that. Uh, I think resume. And I think it's going to make Gay better. I think having Tranquil, even if he doesn't essentially win that job and or you know win even win even a split, is going to be a good rotational player. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo, we know, likes to rotate guys in and out and have a lot of different looks. Tranquil has upside when it comes to coverage. He can blitz the passer, and I I think that fits right into what Spagnuolo likes to do when you have this quarterback confusion. So I think he fits into that mix. And for anyone who is a a fan favorite of Willie Gay, nothing to worry about here, right? This is something that Drew is really going to have to earn through preseason and training camp. Yeah, I agree. Um, he He's a, a do-everything kind of player, and I think the Chiefs will get a lot of use out of him this season. Yeah, so there you go with Drew Tranquil. And, uh, and finally, from a, a broad scope here, the NFL owners made a few changes. We'll, we'll finish up the show with this. Just some commentary. Uh, John, the big ones here are flex Thursday night football scheduling. We, we've talked about that on, on previous shows. It can only happen twice. Happen, it has to happen 28 days in advance. I don't love it. I think it's a slippery slope for having to have these players switch to Thursday night when they're not ready for it sometime in the future. That won't be this year. The Chiefs won't be flexed into Thursday night because the windows from week 13 to week 17 and the way the schedule works out, it, it's highly unlikely that you'll see a, a Chiefs game because CVS will protect the Bengals and Bills games and the Chiefs are in showcase games, you know, those weeks anyway. But they might be flexed in, in future years. So I, I think remains something to be monitored. I think it's silly. I think a lot of the players were against it. I think it's catering to Amazon. And this is just another case, John, and, and this is an unfortunate part of the business, but it's like money talks, right? Amazon right. has paid mm-hmm. us a lot of money to have good games, and we're going to make sure they have good games, even if it's at the expense of our players. Well, and there's one other aspect of this, too, is that Jeff Bezos is a guy who might end up owning an NFL team one day. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why they're working so hard to make Amazon happy is that they want Bezos to be in the mix to be an owner of a team someday, perhaps in a foreign country, mm. you know, perhaps, uh, perhaps he might be somebody who could step up and, and start a franchise in Germany or I'm an, uh, look, Austria. I'm, a, I'm an Amazon prime mem- mem- member. I read an article yep. last year that said day of deliveries with drones. And I have not seen that happen yet. So let's focus <laughs> on one thing at a time. I'm ready to get <laughs> my toothpaste from a drone after I order it an hour before. Uh, the other rules, John, uh, third quarterback is now allowed after what happened to San Francisco in the playoffs. Yeah. This is an emergency quarterback. I think this plays into the Chiefs keeping a quarterback um, as far mm-hmm. as three on their team. I, I tend to think 
it's going to be Gabbert and Bouchel. I think Mahomes and Gabbert will be active. And then should something happen, um, which could have happened to the Chiefs in the playoff game against the Jaguars last year, where yep. maybe Travis Kelsey was an injury away from from entering the game, <laughs> going back to his high school days as the quarterback, even though he's not had a great NFL experience at quarterback. But now NFL teams can have that third quarterback dressed but inactive and should Mahomes and a Gabbert, for example, or maybe it's a Bouchelle and a Mahomes. You know, but we'll see how the QB two battle goes. But uh, this quarterback will be able to play should the other quarterbacks be unavailable due to injury, right? Specifically due to injury. Right, and that's the only way they can get in the game. And and if the other if, if the original quarterbacks are able to come back in the game if they're medically cleared, they have to go back in the game. Right. It's interesting. Uh, you, you know, is the doctor going to clear the quarterback? Uh, you know, if the if the third quarterback is playing terribly, I mean, this you know, doctors have a lot of power here in this deal. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's just, where you've seen the NFL lean into third parties over the years. Where yeah, mm-hmm. it used to be a little dicey, especially with concussions. Now there's a spotter removes players from the game. This guy has to be approved by a, a third party, and you wonder if they go that direction as they tweak this quarterback rule. I I like the quarterback change. It it does seems completely yeah. dumb to have someone perfectly capable standing there on the sideline and you not being able to use them because of these these rules so it's back in the game after what was a little bit of a break there and then this is one uh that you can tell andy Reid didn't love when he talked about it yesterday but the kickoffs um when a player fair catches anywhere beyond the 25 yard line so from your own 25 to the goal line you'll automatically jump up to the 25-yard line. Did some research on this. There were no fair catches on kickoffs in 2022. That'll be a change here, and it'll affect the Chiefs, especially when it comes to kicking the football off because this is a team that has trained Harrison Butker at times to make sure that there's some type of return because you know if you kick it in, in front of the goal line, players would be um, more inclined to go field them and, and try to – you know, and, and perhaps the Chiefs could pin them back to the, you know, the 15 to 20. Um, you would see the same thing where, you know, and sometimes to the madness of fans, as I know, they would take the ball, let's say, around the three three or four instead of letting it bounce into the end zone and go try to gain yardage. Now you're going to be taking quite a risk of pure yardage by by being super aggressive and trying to return every ball that maybe lands right in front of the, the goal line there. So a change that Andy Reid didn't like, he essentially said yesterday, John, where does it end? Yeah. Well, I think one of the problems that people have with the special teams in particular is that with Patrick Mahomes on the team, uh, fan, many fans feel that it's not necessary to be aggressive on special teams. Just let's take it at the 25. Heard right. a lot of complaining about that last year. Why are we feeling these kicks at the three? That's just going to increase uh, in this coming season. But I would just like to remind people who think that Dave Tobe is stubborn. Let's remember that Dave Tobe has worked for Andy Reid for 10 years in Kansas City. And if he wasn't doing what Andy Reid wanted, he wouldn't still be here. And I think that when we see Dave Tobe be aggressive, it's because that's what Andy Reid wants, not because that's what Dave Tobe wants. I just think we need to remember that when we have these conversations about what the team is doing on special teams. Well, I don't like the special teams rule, and Andy Reid's right. It's just like a, a slippery slope of what's next. And he mentioned, you know, eventually we'll be playing flag football. 
the owners had mentioned player safety, but then you see them make the Thursday night football change, which is another slippery slope of like, you're right. Well, mm-hmm. what yeah. it, what's going to be in two years? Is it going to be Thursday night and uh, you know, weeks time or you find it on Sunday night? Hey, guess what? Surprise. You're playing on Thursday, you know, and you're not really prepared for that. So, um, some mixed messaging from the owners. I had mentioned, yeah. the seems like health and safety is a selective priority from them. And it's, it's, it's tough to see during, during these moments. And, if you notice some of the more controversial rules that maybe a head coach or a special teams coordinator would push back on, like it was revealed a lot of special teams coordinators were pushed on pushing back on these is of course the votes take place when the owners are just by themselves, when there's no head coaches involved and they're busy at, <laughs> at practice. It's busy yeah. spring, spring meetings in Minneapolis. And so again, not, not great. Um, not great when it comes to a couple of the rules. I think the third quarterback is one that, that makes a ton of sense. So I, I think the game will be better for that one passing. Well, I would just say that, that it's fair to say that there's mixed messaging about player safety. Yep. But I would also point out that if a player gets a serious injury on a kickoff, everybody knows why that happened. If a player gets a serious injury because he only had four days of rest, that's mm-hmm. a lot harder for people to see. I think that the right. NFL is concerned about liability here and the liability for uh, a, a, a play that takes place on a kickoff is a lot different than the liability for a player who isn't getting enough rest before he goes back out on the field. I'm always, I've always been a, a, a person who, who feels like, isn't there a way for the league to figure out how to maybe make Thursday night games after a, a team's bye week you know mm-hmm. i know that that'd be tougher to do right at the beginning of the season but essentially like couldn't you just put the next thursday night team like couldn't you just put them on a bye the week before the two teams i i just i don't I'm, i've always been surprised that they could not figure this out a little better now with flex scheduling of course that would throw that completely out the window and i know that folks in the comments have mentioned that on the new heights podcast travis and jason said they like the thursday night mm-hmm, game because it provides right. them a mini buy hell i love the thursday night game because it provides us a mini buy i mean i think right. i think that part of it, it, it is uh is great um even still i i still tend to think that some of the downside of the injuries and the quality of play when there's not as much preparation outweighs the mini buy but Thursday night football is not going away. It's incredibly lucrative. We're seeing a Friday game, a Black Friday game. They're continuing with the Saturday games. There's a a Monday Christmas Day special, John, which I know um, my girlfriend and your wife is really pumped about. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> these these specialty games uh, are not going away. Um, right? Which, Why not have uh, them on Tuesday? Isn't Tuesday easier on the players than Thursday is? And they could still call it TNF. You know, I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I think there's, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a time eventually when we see, and I'm not saying every week, but we're probably seeing, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday special games, just depending on like, yeah, I, I'll give you an example. And I don't know, this just, this has come to me. We're, we're seeing a Black Friday game this year, right? Mm-hmm. We know about the Thanksgiving games. What is stopping the NFL from saying, well, everyone is home for the holidays, really the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Shouldn't there be a Wednesday night Thanksgiving yeah. Eve game you could watch while you're back home visiting with all your friends like Thanksgiving Eve? There's a big you know, evening of, right. of mm-hmm. everybody's off the next day. So right. this is not ending. Um, and <laughs> and 
I've always, and sorry, I'm, I'm like beating this to death. I've always been a proponent of look, if it's more lucrative for the NFL owners, I, I get it, right? Don't, don't pull the wool over our eyes and say player safety on some things and then not <laughs> just be like, look, that's fair. Yeah. Doing it. It, you know, really, when it comes down to it, we're moving Thursday night football because it's going to make us more money. This kickoff rule, player safety. No, I mean, they're referencing it'll keep players on the field. What does that equate to? Keeping your best player. It's more money. Everything is, in a way, money driven. So let's just call it what it is. We're changing rules because it's going to make the league more more lucrative. I, I don't know. I just, that's just my soapbox and I, I will die there. We are way over time. What you, we let Steve Serta go to Colorado and we have no control over this show. So thank Not you for cracking the whip on us. Yeah, that's no. right. <laughs> thank, you to, thank you to Kramer for stepping up at a big spot as, as uh, we welcome back Steve next week if you like the podcast we encourage i challenge you remember if you leave a rating and a review on apple itunes we will read it on the show if you want to remember the super bowl winning season 2022 i have my book link up at twitter.com slash pg sween a dynasty begins now's the time to get it because training camp is coming up and this this hand is ready to sign that book if you want it for you know for free just wave <laughs> me down maybe maybe we I, we can share a hot dog together while i'll do it so um, again, that link is at twitter.com slash pgsween. Thank you to Kramer. Thank you to John. This has been another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.